Hello, and welcome to Work Inspired, a podcast where we talk about everything from technology to leadership, culture to effective working environments, basically trying to get you the key ingredients to work inspired and better yourself in your professional career. Couldn't be more excited today to speak with Adam Bleibtreu. He is the Chief Marketing Officer for Creative Circle and Creative Circle's parent company, ASGN, who owns a number of businesses in the staffing world. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. Work Inspired starts right now. Adam, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your schedule to be with us on the show today. So excited to speak with you and uh, to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, George, it's a pleasure to be here. I couldn't be happier that you invited me uh, in to have a conversation and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your background. Uh, tell me your professional story and kind of how you got to where you're at today with ASGN. Uh, um, you got a day or two. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> Give me the cliff notes I, version. <laughs> I, will, I will tell you it's, uh, it's a non-traditional story. Uh, I actually went mm-hmm. to film school at the uh, finest university in Southern California, otherwise known as USC, uh, and wound up as the chief marketing officer of a publicly traded company. Uh, I've had a really unique opportunity to work in a variety of industries, including the entertainment industry, advertising and marketing and traditional roles, uh, entrepreneurship, and and now in staffing of all things. Hmm. I would say for me, the the through line to my career has been uh, an overall fascination with storytelling, starting before I got to college, but particularly through my college years, how important storytelling is as a form of communication and ultimately a way of communicating. So following some success I had in college, directing a documentary that I was fortunate enough to win an Emmy and AFI's national video award for, I went to work ultimately for Jim Henson on a TV series he had called the Muppet babies and spent five years waking up every day with Kermit and Miss Piggy and, uh, and the gang. Uh, phenomenal opportunity to learn about how to tell stories and the value of character and how ideas come to fruition. Uh, Jim was truly a master at that. I then transitioned into the advertising industry and became the director and then vice president of creative services at LA Gear when it was an emerging footwear company and really built an in-house advertising and design agency and for five years ran that within the footwear business. And this is 1989 to 1994. So really this emerging marketplace. And and the team I built did everything from in-store product displays all the way through commercials that ran on the Super Bowl. And we had our celebrities and athletes like Michael Jackson and Paul Abdul and Joe Montana and Wayne Gretzky and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I got to work with and manage the corporate relationships with them as well. I got recruited out of that to help launch a television network, which used to be known as the WB, and found that to be really an interesting opportunity that I left promising myself I would never work for another network that I didn't own. And that's just one of those throwaway lines you have. You have to be very careful about later in your career. Uh, I started down this entrepreneurial path where I saw the intersection of what was then becoming the Internet thanks to Al Gore and my marketing and communications background. And I really felt that if we could put television screens closer and closer to the point of purchase, 
we could affect consumer behavior in a positive way. That industry became known as digital signage. And at the turn of this millennium, I became one of the founders in that space. And my five, six year run in that industry culminated with forming a partnership and launching a company called Gas Station TV, where we pioneered putting a TV set on the top of a gas pump and raising money and building out at that point what became the largest digital signage network in the uh, in the petroleum and the gas station space. Uh, so be careful what you wish for because you wind up owning your own network, which was which was quite exciting. Uh, mm. The last transition came from when I was in the consulting world as really a CMO for hire. And uh, a recruiter reached out to me uh, on behalf of a company called Creative Circle, which at that point was a quickly emerging staffing company in the creative space, creative and digital staffing space. I knew nothing about staffing other than we all help our friends get jobs, but really found the founders and the pioneers of that company to be two of the most intelligent folks I'd ever worked with. So eight years ago, next week, I signed on board to be their chief marketing officer and have been one, been theirs ever since. Uh, Three years into that tenure, five years ago, a little over five years ago, we were purchased outright by a company called On Assignment then. ASGN now. Mm. And I was offered the opportunity to be the chief marketing officer of the parent company. So I now have two very distinct and parallel jobs. I'm the chief marketing officer of ASGN Incorporated, where we um, specialize in the federal government and commercial space. We own four staffing and consulting companies. And I've kept my day job as the CMO of Creative Circle, where I run the day-to-day team uh, of marketing within that company. Adam, I've talked to a lot of business leaders in a variety of different industries on this show. And I have to say, your story is one of the most robust that I've heard as it relates to the the many different kind of chapters of your professional experience, going from the Muppet Babies to the ad in, in industry to uh, the network work to the chief marketing officer. Uh, how did you make some of these decisions? How did you know when to, when it was time to kind of shift? I've heard that it's, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about today is actually how do you retain talent? How do you find and retain talent? Which is something I'm guessing, I know creative circles, you know, that's, that's part of the wheelhouse there. Um, but you've kind of have the, have these like pretty distinct, milestones throughout your career, how did you know when it was time to make a change? Uh, It's a great question, George. Uh, I I would like to say it was with incredible amounts of forethought, wisdom, Mm -hmm. and strategic thinking. Um, The reality is part of it is pure blind luck and uh, maybe a little professional ADD. Um, all, (laughs) All kidding aside, the farther along in my career I got, the more I realized that interpersonal relationships with leadership and the capacity of leadership to lead what was what made companies successful and attracted me to, to join these teams. So for the first seven, eight years of my career, as I was trying to figure out what the world was about, I really approached every job I took with one key Um, goal. And that was to be the hardest working person in the room, because I really felt that uh, if I outworked everybody, I didn't have to be the smartest 
the strongest or the fastest, I would become invaluable simply because of my work ethic. And as I've tried to teach my kids as they've gone through life, the only thing you can control is your effort. And Mm -hmm. if you decide every day to get up and give 110% of your effort, I'm living proof that success can come your way. Mm. Yeah, that, that I completely agree with that. And actually, as you told your story, there's a number of parallels in my own life. I also went to film school. I'm in marketing. Um, I, it seems to me that you, you also have a bit of an entrepreneurial bone in your body, you know, like what you were talking about seemed fair. There's innovation in there. Uh, is that an, another piece, another key ingredient in addition to the hard work is that how important is, is being able to be creative and being able to be innovative and come up with new ideas. So again, uh, fascinating question. And, uh, I'll try to parse it into two pieces. A lot of people, think they have very strong ideas. A lot of people think that they are creative and a lot of people form what arguably can be considered innovative thoughts. And I think that's wonderful. But, and here's the huge but, the capacity to turn that into reality is only because of hard work. So whether you believe in the 10,000 hour rules or any one of the, you know, variety of entrepreneurial, you know, tour guide books that, that take you down that path, having a great idea is as worthless as having a bad idea. If you don't have the capacity to at least try to make it a reality. So from my perspective, hard work and professional relationships are the difference between a great idea and an executed great idea. Mm, so well said. Now I am familiar with creative circle. I at one point had, I can't remember, was it called an agent? I had a, a, a team member there kind of representing me as I was navigating the earlier part of my career. Um, ASGN I'm not as familiar with is it, do you guys still mostly manage creative talent uh, or is there additional kind of industries or fields that you specialize in? ASGN is, uh, is kind of a unique company in that it's a publicly traded entity whose real sort of go to market strategy is about empowering businesses to achieve more. And we do that in two sectors, the commercial sector and the federal and government sector. Mm. And in the commercial sector, we own four staffing companies um, that really focus on IT, IT professional services and the creative digital world. So we own Apex Systems, which is the second largest IT staffing firm in North America. We own Creative Circle, which is the largest creative digital marketing. And we own CyberCoders, which is really focused in this hybrid niche uh, of primarily full-time roles. And mm-hmm. in aggregate, those companies really focus on placing uh, really strong talent, but across the spectrum or the bandwidth um, from back office systems in the true IT world all the way through uh, the creative and design space. And then we also are a significant player through a company that we own called ECS in the federal and government consulting space. So Mm -hmm. their 
uh, our, our clients are the different government agencies, the Department of Defense, DARPA, and et cetera. And we place uh, long-term consultative talent in, in those areas. So ASGN's goal is to really work with the business leaders and to drive growth for our clients alongside providing great opportunities for our internal teams and the candidates that we place in the marketplace. Thanks for that overview. And I'm glad you you gave us that setup because my real question is, I'm very interested in your perspective on the state of talent right now, where we sit 2021. We're still in the midst of a pandemic that has really changed how people think about work. We hear in the news that uh, research is showing that as many as a third of employees are considering a new career, a career change. Um, many of us are still not back in the workplace. We're at our, at our homes. Uh, there's been a lot of change in the last year and a half as it, if, you know, given your expertise as it relates to, to, to talent, where are we headed right now? You know, are, are the things that we're hearing in the news about all this change and turnover? Is it is it true? Is it valid? Uh, what's your perspective on 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 the state of kind of recruiting and talent as we are in 2021? Wow. Second only to asking me about the story of my career. <laughs> this one is uh, it, it, it can be a. Uh, a lengthy answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me try to segment my expertise uh, from the overarching question. So all of our businesses are really in the higher wage, I would call, you know, sort of low white collar and above job classifications. So I'm not experienced in traditional hourly wage workers, light industrial and in those spaces. So um, within that universe, um, I'm just not a, a qualified uh, person to give an opinion. Um, Within the sectors or the business segments that we serve, I think we've all seen the same thing, which is that remote works across the majority of service industries, meaning IT services, not QSR and and in-person services. So in, in the sectors that we serve. So remote works, people can be productive people can be contributive and they can do that from places that aren't an office environment. But one of the unique characteristics of that is that people took a little bit of a pause. There was a little bit of a moment where the hamster wheel, the treadmill slowed down and they got to look at their life and their peer group's life from the perspective of, I don't have a commute. I don't have the same nature of interactions in the office and I'm remaining productive. And I think that gave a lot of people a little bit of a moment of a career pause. Like Mm. I'm working in New York, I'm struggling as all New Yorkers are to survive in that crazy metropolis. And I could do my job from Colorado or from Iowa or from Texas. And my pace of life and the expense of my life could be substantively different. So I think, I think that's one huge piece of what you're, of the question that you're asking. So the short answer, trying to get to it for you, is that talent now has the capacity to be more selective than they used to do or they used to be because the world that they're now living in is allowing them to be selective. 
Mm. It's interesting because on its face, that obviously seems like a good thing, right? It gives people more choice. They can, you know, move to wherever they want to live. They can work from wherever they want to be. Potentially there is a better, uh, an opportunity for more balance, if that's the right word, between work and life uh, or integration maybe between work and life. Um, I wonder, are there any risks to it? Are there any concerns to that, that eliminating a need to be in a specific geography to be part of a team? There are absolutely risks and, and there are rewards. I have, I have one son who works for a large technology company called Apple and he lives in Austin, Texas and has been working remote since the pandemic started and has mm. been very successful at it. Uh, my middle child, a daughter has been working remotely um, for an entertainment company and has found success doing that. And, and my youngest is in the, in the, private equity finance world and and same thing. They're all working remotely and they're all successful. And I'm using them as examples because what's missing from each of their lives in their own way is what's missing from all of us who are working from home's lives. And that's personal interaction. So I can do my job. I can get through my task list. I can contribute to the projects that I need to contribute to. And I can do that anywhere that I have an internet connection and enough quiet space to think. But the conversations that you have to and from the coffee machine, the conversations that you have to and from the conference room, those have gone away. And that the impact of that has yet to really truly be understood because those are the conversations that tie into our DNA as humans, as a species. And as a species, we are social animals and Mm -hmm. being relegated to bedrooms, kitchen tables, fighting with roommates um, over bandwidth. Those are new things for us as, as, as a category of, of, of animal on the planet. And I think that's the challenge. I think the work can get done, but what are the longer terms impact on our mental health and our emotional well-being by remaining isolated from each other? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's something that is not a new topic of conversation that we you know talked about on this podcast. Uh, a previous guest had mentioned that we can be productive from home, but he had noticed that innovation definitely suffers. And it was from those relationships, from those unplanned interactions, from the spontaneity that occurs when you're with a group of people in person and said, that's what's really missing. And they, and it's been a challenge to be able to try to replicate that digitally, you know, through a zoom call or, uh, or, or from a bunch of disconnected homes. Um, I'm interested to know, basically, you know, from your experience in the creative space and, and, and being around a lot of highly creative, innovative teams, how are companies achieving the level of creativity and, and original thought that comes from being in a creative location? Because we, 
as an as employers and and our business creates space there's a lot of control that you've got over the kind of culture the kind of uh tools the environment that you're creating in a commercial setting but when people are in their homes you lose a lot of a lot of that control i mean we're confined to the virtual background that's behind us right or uh um the new tactics i'm not saying that there's no way to do it but uh, how are you seeing the the business owners, the companies that you're working with, kind of trying to solve that problem of not having the spaces that they were used to? I think the core is leadership, and and this mm-hmm. is going to be kind of a roundabout, but direct answer to your question. I think it's harder now than it's ever been for managers and leadership to create business process that accomplishes what you're talking about. So Mm. two years ago, we had a conference room, we had cubicle rows, we had offices, and I could walk around and interact with people in all of those spaces. And by virtue of that would impart ideas, thoughts, leadership to them. And conversely, they would impart thoughts, ideas, and, and, and leadership back to me. And the byproduct was we kept moving forward. So now as one of the leadership teams, uh, members in, in both of these companies, it's incumbent upon me, or at least I view it as incumbent upon me to maintain those kinds of conversations and to manage teams to specific goals um, with, with marked progress. So, I can get up in the morning and I work now in three different time zones, four technically in the US, right? And and I can get my task list done. I can go to my calls. I can have my conversations. I can log off, have dinner with my beautiful wife and call it a day and do it again tomorrow. And everything will move forward. But I find that inherently lacking if I don't make the effort to reach out to people in the company that I would otherwise have walked by. So mm. whether it's accounting, whether it's the, the, the HR team, whether it's some of our recruiting delivery or, or, or sales teams, I would normally see them on just my path of walking around the company on a daily basis. So I make it a point every day to virtually drop in on people um, and just say hi. Good afternoon. Good morning. Hey, it's the first of September. Where did the year go? Because I think it's really important to maintain those kind of human relationships. And then what happens when I open those doors is sometimes people impart back to me what's going on or a frustration or a success in their life. And it begins to allow us to maintain those interpersonal human relationships. So the short answer is, I think the way to succeed in this pseudo virtual world is that leaders have to work harder to maintain the relationships you said that um, your kind of your career is kind of centered around the 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 ability to tell stories, right? And as a chief marketing officer, one of the roles is to look after brand and to tell that story outward, right? Um, now, without having people all within a central space where you can communicate internally, where you can com- you know communicate culture, culture another thing that I'm, I know relates to talent attraction and retention. How much of your role has kind of shifted to also be telling the stories for the internal audience at your organization? Or was that always 
part of your job? The the role of the chief emotional officer um, at Creative mm-hmm. Circle has kind of been split between uh, myself and, a, and another coworker who has the same sort of recognition of and acceptance of this need for making sure that there's there's a connection between our employees and in culture a somewhat overused word is is clearly is clearly part of that connection so mm-hmm. that's critical to the success of any company and it's really important because it helps maintain inertial momentum of Mm -hmm. an enterprise. And what you find is that it's not easy to do by leading the path. It's much more appropriate to do by sitting at the back of the bus. And I always refer to it as the guy on the back of the hook and ladder truck. That truck isn't going anywhere that he or she doesn't choose to navigate it or drive it. So understanding when you pull and understanding when you push and help guide these kinds of pieces of conversation and keeping your ears and your eyes open to where there are problematic points of frustration or or friction within the organization um, are critical. And then finding the way to help people overcome them so that they're feeling successful in how those situations find resolve. Hmm. You, um, you mentioned a number of different entities within the ASGN family, and a number of these are kind of specialized in placing talent, correct? Um, yes. Do you offer any services to help companies retain talent? You know, it occurred to me as we've been talking that your business model probably benefits when there's some turnover because it allows, you know, there's a role that needs to be filled or there's somebody that's looking for a new career that needs to be placed. Um, but I know also a lot of business leaders uh, and, and and people managing teams are terrified of losing their teams. They want the you know the 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 time it takes to retrain and to onboard. So we're all looking for people that can make a career at our organization. I, I'm, I'm my question, I guess, is what advice do you have for someone who's in a hiring position or someone who's looking to put together a team to? not only find the right person, but to keep that person on their team? It's a great question. So to clarify ever so slightly, um, within the commercial segment, both Apex and Creative Circle are primarily focused on uh, temporary or or freelance type roles. So Mm. we don't focus on long-term retention um, because we're not asked by our clients on a large scale basis to provide full-time talent. CyberCoders mm-hmm. does and spends quite a bit of time talking to their clients about that. So, so within that concept, and we face it all the time um, on a daily basis within all of our companies in terms of maintaining um, our internal staff. So I think, again, I think there's, there's really two keys to having your, your, internal staff or your employees when you think about retention. The first is, and again, it comes back to this concept of leadership. People want to feel like they're a part of something. If you were part of a club or a team at any point in your life, um, you were part of a group of people that were co-joined to achieve a goal. 
And there was an emotional arc to that process. And there was a coach, there was a captain, there were assistant coaches. And we as humans, for the most part, enjoy that process. So if you're leading a team or you're leading a company or you're part of that leadership process, it's really important to make sure that everyone understands and knows where the bus is going. Without having direction, it creates a little bit of a chaotic and and kind of an anarchy in in the employee base. And that creates uncertainty and uncertainty breeds fear. So the first thing is to have a very clear understanding and being able to communicate where you're going, why you're going there and how you're going to get there. And then Mm -hmm. the second piece is. In today's world, I think more than at any other point, particularly in my professional career, which has only been about 140 years now, <laughs> is, is, to, is to listen, is to reach out to employees and teammates and to understand where they're having problems and where they're seeing successes so that you stay a little tighter and closer to them than you may otherwise have. Mm. Great advice. Thank you for that. We talked about the, and we're all familiar with the challenges that COVID-19 has, has kind of brought upon us all. There's also been a lot of innovation though. Uh, I think anytime there's change, there's going to be innovation and there's going to be uh, what you call it silver lining, or there's going to be uh, something we can take away from the, the experiences we just had. Is there anything particular that you're excited for as we move hopefully out of the pandemic into the future with the new ways of working, any innovations or changes that, uh, that you, that that you think are good takeaways. Absolutely. I think there are two key things. One we've chatted about a little bit, which is remote works. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There isn't a question to be had in the business world, basically on a global basis that in selected industries and categories of business, people can work remotely. So there's Mm -hmm. no longer a conversation about can your team work from home or do they have to be in the office? And obviously there are countless exceptions to that, but remote works and that's great. And that's opening up opportunity. But I think personally, the greater or the more interesting byproduct of COVID has been the end of the digital divide. So Mm. from the birth of technology and most importantly, the birth of the internet, there's been this divide, which was now right around age 32 to 35. People younger than that were natives in this digital world. They didn't know fax machines. They didn't know copiers. They didn't know rotary phones. They didn't know television. They only knew flat panels. They were natives in the digital world. 32, 34, 35 years old and up, there was still a little bit of a, hmm, how do I order lunch on Postmates? What is this thing called open table? And, and how does the internet work? And I can tell you without hesitation, the digital divide is forever gone. My in-laws in their eighties can now order an Uber and get to doctor's appointments and there is no divide. And what that means is that all of the retail organizations out there, everybody that has a good or a service to sell now has to compete in an online environment the way that they've always competed in a brick and mortar environment. 
And mm-hmm. that's creating innovation on an hour by hour day, day by day basis, which I think is just exciting as heck. Definitely. And it's interesting that that will probably usher in the next divide. We, we, we had a conversation recently on this show about disruptive technology and talked a lot about blockchain and uh, artificial intelligence and you know some of the things that I, I I could tell I'll have a hard time grasping, but my kids will probably grow up as natives using. So it's interesting how that kind of comes in waves, but you're completely right. The, the res- resistance or the hesitancy or the, um, I mean, we're all forced to use digital, right? Over the last 15 months. So, uh, it, it, I think you're, you are absolutely correct that that's going to usher in innovation and change. Um, I like to kind of finish each episode by asking a couple personal questions that I think are, are designed to kind of, uh, help import, impart some of your wisdom on, on listeners that are, you know, earlier on in their career, or maybe not just people that are looking to learn from your experience. And, um, and one of those questions is around resources. Uh, has there been a resource that's been particularly useful to you in your career? It could be a book, podcast, a group, anything in particular that you would recommend? Oh, it's um, it's a great question. Um, I think it, I think it falls into two separate categories. The first is um, if I, you know, from a a learned perspective, and Mm. this is part of the the, the statement you made earlier uh, about Moore's law and the speed of technology and technological change in the next digital divide. I read a book by Paco Underhill called Why People Buy, which was written in the 90s and has been rewritten a couple of times. And it's the Bible for me on the emotional triggers behind the difference between purchasing and shopping. And for a marketer, that's one of our fundamental treaties, right? We have to manipulate the minds of our consumers to get them to behave or to feel in a certain way. And and Paco, without going into depth in the book, really understood those triggers. So whether you're in a grocery store as an eight-year-old, when you could go into a grocery store, or whether you're navigating through the apps on your iPhone, your emotional triggers to how storytelling impacts how you feel about brands, products, ideas, and people, those don't change. Those triggers don't change. So reading that book really gave me the insight and the permission to trust my instincts around that process and how important storytelling is. That's the first Mm -hmm. part. The second part is I spent the first 35 years of my life never asking anybody for help, never asking anybody for anything. Different conversation. We can talk about some unique aspects to my childhood, but I believed fully that I was all alone on an island and I had to figure things out myself. And I achieved some successes and had some spectacular failures. But the successes in the career path I've had since that point when I began to understand that interpersonal professional relationships matter and that Mm. people will help me and will offer advice or guidance has been the second greatest resource I have. And and I say this with complete honesty. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Um, I still try to be one of the hardest workers, but I know people who can get me the answers that I need to continue to be successful. So 
trusting your instincts and finding validation for that is huge and interpersonal professional relationships that you can trust and grow with are the two keys to my success. Hmm. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, You've had the opportunity to work with and alongside uh, some amazing people. You mentioned some of them earlier uh, and some amazing brands. Um, Have you noticed any characteristics? You've you've actually shared a couple of them already in this conversation, like the ability to listen. Um, But uh, have you noticed consistency across great leaders and any certain characteristics that you could share? Honesty. I think... Mm -hmm. The hardest thing to do is to have an honest conversation. And I may not at the moment, but I've always in hindsight appreciated honest conversations. Mm. So as a business leader or as a family person, having the ability to have an honest conversation with someone about a hard topic And to try and keep it as emotionless as possible is really, I think, the fundamental key to succeeding. Everybody can pat you on the back. Everybody can give you a trophy for showing up. But to be able to sit someone down and to say this work product, this work effort is not the best it can be. And we need to improve it. That's the key. People who have the capacity to have an honest conversation are ultimately the ones that are the most respected. And from my perspective, the most successful. It's interesting that you shared that right after you shared that one of the keys to your success was asking, asking for help, asking for feedback and opinions. Were you drawn to leaders that you felt would offer you a more honest opinion? Is that, is that the relationship there? Is it, you, you know, if you're looking to, to grow and to succeed, you've got to be willing to work hard. Yes. But also to be able to ask for help. Is it is part of the secret sauce knowing who's going to give you those honest, that honest feedback? Absolutely. Honesty mm-hmm. in terms of feedback and the relationships, professional and personal, what you have is key. Mm-hmm. Lots of people can blow smoke in the appropriate orifice. <laughs> That's not going to help you. That's just right. going to hinder you and it's going to give you this false sense of success. So, Finding people that can be honest without being brutal, can be honest without being personal, can be honest and objective. For me, those were always the ones that I was attracted to because I knew that their response, their answers were going to be helpful. So, yes, 100 percent seeking out professional relationships with people that provide honest feedback to me have always been the most helpful. I hesitate to ask this final question because you've already shared such incredible advice and wisdom, but if you were retiring tomorrow and let's say you had some men, men, mentors, mentees, let's say you're mentoring some people, uh, and you wanted to leave behind some, some, some advice, some words of wisdom, what would you tell somebody who was maybe stepping into your shoes? Uh, don't take life as seriously as I did. No, I'm kidding. Um, although, although that's part of it. Um, I think it's two things. I think the first thing is that you have to be insatiably curious. You have to want to understand things, how they work. I probably read pieces of seven or eight different 
blogs, newspapers, news feeds, call it what you will, every day before 7 a.m. Because I'm curious, and that can range from Vanity Fair and National Geographic to the Wall Street Journal and, 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 uh, and the L.A. Times um, or the New York Times. So remaining curious about how things work is, and I just don't mean on a mechanical sense, is critical. I, I, I sold a network of TV sets on a gas pump to an advertiser before the technology existed. And I did that because I knew I could figure it out. But I didn't have the answer when I cut that deal. So being insatiably curious is the first thing. The second thing, which also took me a very long time to understand, is to lose your fear of failure. Mm. Fail as quickly as you can. I encourage all of the teammates that I manage and all of the people that I work with now to fail as quickly as you can. Obviously, you don't want to have cataclysmic, massively economic related failures, but in trying to move forward, skin your knee, skin your elbow, chip a tooth, fail as fast as you can, learn from your failures, and then move on. In this world that we live in that is all digitally connected, the agile way of thinking. Try it. If it doesn't work, iterate it again. So to me, those are the two things that I think really, if I were to work with with mentees uh, moving forward, it's to remain insatiably curious and to always try to fail as fast as you can. Don't be afraid of failure. I love it. And you have been a treasure trove of, of insight, uh, but I feel like we've just scratched the surface with you. Uh, I do hope that uh, you have plans to write an autobiography someday because it seems like your story is pretty fascinating and not just I, I, that's the first time i've said that on this show um this has been an absolute pleasure adam thank you so much for taking the time to to share some of your inspiration with us and our listeners oh george it's it, it's been a pleasure you're you're kind to treat an old man with uh with respect <laughs> and uh, and platitudes and you know I, I i enjoy these conversations because um it's just a chance to to put your perspective or in my case to, to have a conversation with someone who asks really good questions. So uh, I wish everybody the best in these challenging times. And uh, I would just encourage you to have a little patience and to understand that life today is harder for some of our teammates than it may be for us. So let's continue mm -hmm. to practice empathy on a daily basis. Well said. Thank you so much. All righty. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS. BOS is one of the largest commercial interiors companies in North America, and we specialize in creating effective working environments, whether that's in the workplace or in the home. If you would like to be connected with one of our workplace experts who can connect you with some of our exclusive complimentary solutions, reach out to myself or visit BOS.com and we'll be happy to get you started. Thanks so much for listening to Work Inspired. We'll see you next week. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.